Well, welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor, the third Friday of the month, and every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m., uh, the program runs, and we have a live show where we take callers from 7.30 until 8 o'clock, inviting them to call in with questions either related or sometimes unrelated to the topic of the month's subject. Um, This month we're going to be discussing uh, skin cancers, amongst a few other things, and uh, treatment approaches and or prevention strategies. Uh, The number, if you live in the area, or indeed if you live outside the area, or you're from Australia, or somewhere like that, is 707-923-3911. These programs are also archived on the web at www.kmud.org under the... uh, audio archives tab uh people want to scroll down to friday night talk uh choose the third friday of uh each month uh they keep them for about two months and uh fortunately most of these shows have been put up by several individuals uh, on youtube so uh, the youtube channels also cover most of the shows that we've done and our website uh, westernbotanicalmedicine.com also has a link in the resources tab and every show that we've done bar the last few months uh, of this year uh, up there and free to download. And we do get calls and emails from people telling us how much they've enjoyed them and they've just come upon them and they've never heard anything like it. So that's uh, that's why we do this. As an alternative approach, uh, I graduated with a degree in herbal medicine in England uh, in 1999. I've been practicing ever since. Um, and we run a business where we produce alternative uh, supplements, uh, dietary supplements to uh, promote uh, and support well-being. Um, we've had on the show uh, Dr. Raymond Pete uh, with us for a number of years now. I think I last counted it was getting on close to 10. Um, and we're always very pleased to have his wisdom on the show because he comes uh, from a different era, uh, not just from his age, uh, but also from the way things were understood back then and before the financial interests uh, steamrolled uh, the way they do now. Um, so uh, Dr. Raymond Pete uh, is on the show to join us this evening. And uh, are you there, Dr. Pete? Yes, hello. Well, thanks so much, uh, as always, for giving your time as freely as you always do uh, every third Friday of the month on the show. Um, for those people who perhaps have never heard you or never read your work, uh, would you give an outline of your academic and your professional background so that people know uh, where you where you come from? Um, I graduated from Southern Oregon College in 1956 with a bachelor's degree majoring in humanities and then I went to the University of Oregon for a master's degree, uh, got that, and uh, taught for several years um, linguistics and other subjects. And then in uh, 1968, went back to the University of Oregon in biology for a Ph.D. in 1972. And you've been working ever since then, and you've, uh, you do your own independent research, and you've you always, always come up with uh, at least a handful uh, of people, published people, uh, and other authors that show work that you probably wouldn't find too much uh, evidence of now, unless you were really digging for it uh, deeply. And, and indeed, you spent, you have spent, and you still spend a lot of your, your a lot of your time. Um, I actually started reading old medical textbooks in the 1940s, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
in libraries, folks. <laughs> I, I found that uh, there was more interesting stuff in, in the old books than they were teaching in college. That's why I studied humanities rather than, than sciences yeah. at first. Uh, and you've been applying uh, your rationale uh, to people when they approach you um, asking what would you do if such and such were happening. And um, you've been doing this now for how many, 30, 40 years? At least 45. At least 45. All right, well, good. Uh, so without much further ado, just want to remind people that is a live call-in show. Uh, people do call in uh, from California, all over the states, and indeed from abroad. And the area code here is 707-923-3911. And incidentally, the... Uh, um, we can be reached at the end of the uh, business, uh, end of the show during normal business hours, one eight 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 WBM Herb. So there's a lot of dig- ongoing debate uh, between uh, pro UV exposure groups and the cover up anti UV camps. Uh, on the one hand, solar UV radiation represents the most significant environmental risk factor for the development of non-melanoma skin cancer. Consequently, protection from this is an important approach, especially in risk groups. Uh, 90% of all vitamin D in the body has to be formed in the skin through the action of UV radiation. And the dilemma is the undeniable association between vitamin D deficiency and a host of pathologies ranging from various cancers like colon, prostate and breast which have been confirmed in a large number of studies, as well as bone diseases, autoimmune diseases, infectious and cardiovascular diseases, and hypertension. So vitamin D's benefit is pretty unquestionable at this point. So strict sun protection causes vitamin D deficiency or insufficiency, uh, and the idea that sunlight and vitamin D inhibit the growth of human cancers is not new. So... Looking at the um, radiation from the sun, the main the main two groups are UVA and B, with the ozone layer taking out all of the UVC. Um, so both both cause damage. Now the UVB causes a, a rearrangement of DNA, uh, producing what they call photoproducts, which are known mutagens, uh, causing cancer. And then UVA, in its own right, causes damage via oxidative type processes uh, and the suppression of the skin's immune system has been shown to represent another mechanism by which solar radiation induces and promotes skin cancer growth so i think just to start um, i know you've mentioned that immunosuppressive properties have been demonstrated for both uva and b but uh, i think just to go over um what we've already mentioned that topic cholesterol extensively and hopefully people are beginning to get the message that cholesterol is actually not a villain it's actually very important and everything that they want uh, you know for want of a better word the industry does to control cholesterol in patients that have quote unquote high cholesterol which you've already mentioned for anybody over 50 wants to be at least 200 uh, milligram percent and most people that are showing you know a cholesterol of 200 or slightly above get put on statins and we'll talk about statins in a bit because there's even more evidence to suggest that they are very harmful and actually they do a lot more harm than any good that they've uh, purportedly done apart from increasing the profits of the companies that produce them so can you speak a little bit of the effect uh, of skin cholesterol on the 
conversion by ultraviolet light or the conversion of cholesterol to vitamin D and a difference between a young person's skin and an aging person's skin because I think if you mentioned that the cholesterol content is a very important factor which is decreased in the elderly. Um, yeah, they've known for several years that over the age of um, 60 or 70, uh, it takes about twice as much sunlight exposure to produce the same amount of vitamin D. And it turns out that that's simply because old skin has only about half as much cholesterol as young skin. Uh, and that is not uh, confined to the skin. The age effect uh, occurs in uh, the the um, adrenal glands, for example, which are the largest uh, uh, producers of, of not only uh, steroid hormones, but of cholesterol itself. Um, the uh, digestive system, uh, the intestine and liver are, are important sources of, of cholesterol. But the brain and skin uh, produce uh, usually most of the cholesterol that they need. But all of those organs, the uh, machinery for producing cholesterol declines with aging, mm. roughly 50% by old age. Uh, and um, that in, in the skin, uh, it becomes obvious that uh, the vitamin D isn't produced in the sunlight, but every organ, um, the cholesterol has many functions. Uh, the brain produces steroids from, from cholesterol the same way the gonads and adrenal glands do. Uh, the skin can produce uh, steroid hormones uh, from cholesterol. Mm -hmm. um, and the, um, any injury to the skin, uh, even intense blue light or injecting irritating substances, uh, will cause the skin to defensively uh, increase the production of, of uh, both cholesterol and, and the vitamin D derived from it to the extent that it can, uh, according to its age and, and health. Is this, can I just interrupt for a second? Is, is this the mechanism by which uh, you've mentioned in the past that the um, polyunsaturates and the lipid byproducts, uh, lipofushkin in particular, being so oxidative, damage the endothelia and the body then pro uh, produces the cholesterol to... Um, repair that damage, and that actually is not a problem with cholesterol being uh, found in blockage, but it's actually the underlying insult, but the cholesterol is an immediate response to that stress. Uh, once the, the oxidative damage occurs, that damage is enough to rouse the system <laughs> to produce vitamin D and, and cholesterol, but the uh, polyunsaturated fat, its direct action on... Uh, on the cholesterol enzyme, HMG-CoA uh, uh, mm -hmm. reductase, um, it, it inhibits the production uh, where the saturated fats don't inhibit cholesterol production. So if you're going to use uh, any oil on the skin, it should be uh, cocoa butter or cow butter or uh, anything highly saturated and not any of the, the uh, 
PUFO. Right, now you've, you've, you've mentioned this a lot of times now. So um, people out there that are using creams, um, especially for things, you know, like rejuvenating creams or anti-aging or wrinkle creams or, you know, creams that are supposedly uh, plumping up the epidermis and returning that youthful look should definitely not be based on polyunsaturates. Um, it, yeah, there were experiments um, about 30, 40 years ago on rabbits. They shaved their backs so that they were exposed to ultraviolet sunlight. Poor rabbits. And the, the rabbits that were fed uh, polyunsaturated fats uh, developed quickly wrinkled, aged skin on their backs, and the ones uh, with the saturated diet uh, didn't have that sun damage. So uh, the polyunsaturated, uh, the double bonds uh, are especially reactive hmm. to uh, ultraviolet light, uh, but even uh, through indirect pathways, even blue light can uh, activate the lipid peroxidation process. So, huh. For example, <coughs> vitamin B2, uh, the yellow vitamin, mm -hmm. absorbs, uh, vit uh, absorbs blue light and, and is uh, excited chemically, and it becomes reactive. Uh, either the ultraviolet or blue light uh, will create... A, uh, vitamin deficiency, in effect, uh, uh, impairing the ability of the cell to produce energy oxidatively, and that leads to the production of lactic acid, which creates inflammation. Right. Uh, so even blue light can, can lead to a fatigued process of the cell, uh, leading to inflammation and degeneration. And this is via polyunsaturates, and this is why uh, you advocate uh, eliminating polyunsaturates from your diet and just uh, switching it all out to saturated sources and that over time you will um, change the mass of your fat content to saturated from polyunsaturated even though we do produce some polyunsaturates ourselves. And it's coming to be recognized that yep. uh, stearic acid, uh, purely saturated fatty acid, has anti-cancer effects. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a matter of time, hopefully, right? <laughs> okay, so you said that in an older person, just to recap here, that, that an elderly person has 50% less cholesterol in their skin uh, and that they need twice the sunlight exposure to create the same amount of vitamin D. So obviously that's a, a big concern for... And I know people, when they talk about people in nursing homes, we generally think about people that are well-advanced, but... Um, Besides the fact that they, uh, they're not producing enough vitamin D, being indoors in a nursing home and not getting sunlight, it further compounds their chances of um, becoming susceptible to cancers, as vitamin D has been shown repeatedly to be a good uh, strategy for protecting against cancers. And I know you've... Just well, a couple of years ago, there were experiments on uh, hairless mice uh, exposing them to ultraviolet light. Uh, and then giving them topical vitamin D. Uh, so, but with topical vitamin? Uh, and preventing preventing uh, the UV uh, okay. carcinogenesis by by treating them after the exposure with vitamin D. D, yeah. Good, interesting. Okay, you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM, and from 7.30 to the end of the show, you're invited to call him. Uh, with uh, questions related to this month's topic of uh, basically skin cancers, uh, vitamin D and cholesterol, and how they're uh, how we're going to explain here how they 
are all pulled in uh, to produce um, a rationale uh, for supporting good health. Uh, the number, if you live in the area, is 707-923-3911. Well, Dr. Pete, you've already uh, touched on it lightly here uh, without me asking you, but um, I looked at, uh, while I was doing some uh, background reading for this month's show here, I looked at the uh, mevalonate pathway. Now, you mentioned HMG-CoA reductase as an enzyme, um, without explaining all the step-by-step um, formation of uh, steroids and cholesterol from acetyl-CoA, which is a natural process and one that's extremely important for us. You mentioned the um, the enzyme. Now, statins, just to try and bring this uh, around back to a point of people can help cement the idea in their mind that cholesterol is not a bad molecule, this uh, malavonate pathway and the production of cholesterol amongst many other compounds, including steroids, uh, carotenoids, saponins, uh, liminoids, etc. They're blocked by statins at this particular point in the pathway. So uh, another reason to avoid statins, and I know you've said many times, and I'll repeat it again because there's going to be people that have probably just heard this for the first time, but if you're over 50, you actually want a cholesterol more like 200, 210, 220. It's actually protective. But if you're taking statins to lower your cholesterol because it's supposedly too high and not, not good for you, which we've shown time and time again is actually bad science, um, using statins and blocking this enzyme will lead to a deficit in all those other steroids and all the other products from which cholesterol is a building block. It's now gradually being realized that ubiquinone or mm-hmm. coenzyme Q10, uh, which is a, a product of that same enzyme, that the statins lower that, and yeah. it's an essential component of the mitochondrial respiratory system. And when a tissue is stressed, such as a, a muscle during exercise, yeah. the mitochondria fails to produce enough energy, right. and that can lead to the breakdown of the muscle, and sometimes the, the muscle breakdown uh, plugs up the kidneys, in effect, and kills huh. the person. Huh. Uh, but uh, very commonly, it's causing muscle pain made worse by exercise and that's because of damage to the mitochondrial respiratory system mainly although uh, the structural effects of reduced uh, cholesterol will affect the structure and function of mitochondrion but since the brain and other organs use the same coenzyme q10 and mitochondrial processes uh, the muscle damage is just a very noticeable thing where the cognitive damage is uh, less noticeable. Yeah, more cumulative. You've, um, you mentioned lactic acid obviously being a byproduct here and and being very uh, inflammatory. Uh, Is that apart from this um, CoQ10 decrease or is it in conjunction with that? It is a necessary adaptation to anything that impairs oxidation. Okay. So do you, do you see any of the other steroid hormones uh, or, like I mentioned, the carotenoids um, or uh, saponins even, or the liminoids, part of the um, isoprenoid uh, formation of um, essentially what we would term components uh, like you would find in essential oils, the terpenes and terpenoids? Um, 
is there anything there that you would see that would be... Uh, I suspect that even body odor will be affected by it because it's known that some of these perfumey chemicals made by that pathway uh, are involved in uh, the fragrance of a young person's uh, skin oils. And so I imagine it would uh, tend to make a person uh, lose less perfume young fragrance. Interesting. Okay. All right. So I know that's a serious from a health perspective, but it's an interesting, interesting take on it. I, just an aside. What do you, um, what do you uh, see as a a direct link, if you like, by the way you understand it? I mean, some people just don't smell good. Okay. Some people you don't smell them. They have no smell, and you know they don't have to bath for two days, three days a week. You know, and they don't smell. Other people. You know, have to bathe every day, and you smell them, and they smell bad. Um, Alexander the Great, who apparently had <laughs> great vitality in general, right. he was famous. Uh, historians wrote about how sweet he smelled. Wow. Uh, people would collect wow. his used garments because wow. they had a permanent perfume <laughs> okay. infused into them. <laughs> but do you, do you uh, see everyone under stress can emit different chemicals? For example, isoprene tends to show up during nighttime stress. Oh, really? Okay. All right. So how else, how else do you uh, see uh, body odor? I mean, uh, apart, apart from the kind of medical uh, definitions of, you know, just bacterial uh, breakdown, yeast, and, uh, you know, byproducts of that kind of thing. In, in a healthy person, the skin <laughs> under the influence of thyroid hormone and feedback from the progesterone, which is produced in the skin from the cholesterol. Yeah. But um, insulin and thyroid hormone are very important for keeping the, uh, the flow going from energy through cholesterol into the steroids. And then those steroids uh, in, include, uh, among some of the minor androgens, hmm. the uh, pheromones, the sex-attracting steroids, both in in men and women, uh, some of the testosterone-related minor minor androgens uh, create a a perfume that is uh, uh, very closely associated with with high production of the steroids. Okay, so... Now you call it perfume. Would you would you also describe it as a musk or a um, disagreeable smell? Though I mean, presumably attraction should be uh, you know preceded by something pleasant, right? Rather than uh, yeah, many many people aren't aware of, of right. smells, but uh, experiments show that uh, they they are influenced in their judgment about a person by the, the yeah. smells on yeah. their skin. Interesting. Well, I'm only saying this because I come from a perspective of uh, still somewhat kind of uh, medically uh, brainwashed. But uh, in terms of um, the liver and its process for deaminating and breaking down uh, toxins and um, making them ready for excretion because we don't want them building up because they're toxins, um, is there any link, any link perhaps to liver dysfunction? And oh, bad, oh yeah. 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 The, the, when the liver is failing, yeah. um, the uh, fats that it should be breaking down and excreting uh, can come out in the breath. 
Uh, yeah. On the breath, okay. Yeah. But, but how about in, in generalized body odor? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Acutely, they show up in the breath. Just, uh, yeah. uh, for example, when you get hungry, if your right. uh, liver okay. isn't efficient, yeah. uh, things in your, <laughs> in your tissues will come out in your right. exhaled breath. Right. But chronically, they accumulate and come out more more gradually in the yeah. skin oils. That's funny. We, we call this, <clears throat> excuse me, we call this death breath. And, and you find it on children, too. Uh, and, in fact, our, our five-year-old, you know, if um, we haven't made sure that she's, because uh, she's so active, I mean, she's very, she's bright, she's intelligent, she's fast. Uh, I think she burns a lot of calories. And if we don't constantly feed her, then um, the day before, the evening before, she'll wake up in the morning and she'll have this smell on her. That's obviously one of the process by which you've described. And she doesn't have it when we're really conscious about making sure she gets plenty of sugars uh, during that day. And in the evening, she has a sugary snack. And then she's totally fine. You don't smell it. It's night and day. Um, uh, yeah, that, that smell can... Uh precede, for example, a, a, an epileptic seizure or, or just um, huh. uh, other, other, like a migraine headache, anything that, where the blood sugar is inadequate and the stress hormones yeah. uh, break down tissues. Yeah. Okay, interesting. All right, well, it's, uh, it's 7.26 and the, the phone lines have been ringing here and we do have a, uh, I've been told we do have a couple of people uh, ready to step in. So let's just take this. We've got plenty more things I want to ask you about, but let's. Uh, I know that the show really is about exposing you, and I, I like it when people call up and they uh, ask you stuff and they challenge you to think about the way you think about it. So let's take this first caller. Caller, you're Hi, on the air. Hi, my what? name's Chris, and I'm calling from Southern Humboldt. Southern Humboldt. Uh, and the first thing I want to uh, add to your little discussion here about fragrances, I had a friend who was a monk, and he was a Tibetan monk, but he was actually English, and he was quite cultivated. And uh, anyway, uh, he was eating, uh, uh, I'm trying to think, rose uh, petals. Okay. And, and he, he smelled wonderful. <laughs> I mean, he was probably like Alexander, so maybe that, that was the secret. But what I wanted to talk to you about, Dr. Pete, was I don't know if you remember me or not. I know you talk to a lot of people. But I talked to you, I inquired with you about uh, monk fruit sugar. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I've done a lot of research on it so far, and I'm even trying to get the local community college to possibly start to grow monk fruit sugar as a research product. But uh, anyway, the wonderful thing about the monk fruit sugar is in China, it's the reason Chinese people don't get fat, because they don't eat table sugar like wheat. They don't eat cane sugar. They're eating monk fruit sugar exclusively. And believe it or not, they've been using it for as long as there's been Chinese people on the planet. I don't know how long that's been, but they've used it for um, controlling diabetes. In fact, it's absolutely wonderful for that, and I've done some research for you guys. Uh, the reduction of the inflammation and oxidation, if you, monk fruit is administered regularly, like half a teaspoon every day, you will reduce or eliminate inflammation and oxidation entirely. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Pete, um, obviously, uh, both you and I uh, and lots of people that we consult with and do the same thing are big advocates of regular white table sugar. Uh, what, do you, uh, what do you have to say about monk fruit sugar and how uh, would you see this being a positive uh, anti-diabetes-type... Kind of um... um, 
I actually think any sugar, but especially fruit sugar, and any sugar is a good treatment yeah. for diabetes because uh, glucose is a, a, a promoter of stem cell renewal in the pancreas, and it uh, opposes, tends to suppress the free fatty acids, which are uh, produced under stress, and the free fatty acids are constantly killing the the, uh, beta cells in the pancreas every time they regenerate under the influence of of glucose. Uh, If there isn't uh, enough glucose to suppress the free fatty acids, then uh, regenerated beta cells get killed again. Uh, So keeping the fatty acids down is the essence of curing diabetes and any kind of fruit if you eat enough of it. Could I please uh, inquire and and ask you, I beseech you, please, uh, look into, it's called Luhongo. It's L-U-O-H-A-N-G-U-O. That's its Mandarin name in China. And Luhongo is monk fruit. Please do some research on this because I really think it's going to help a lot of people that have diabetes, and I think it's really going to help a lot of people that have problems with chronic inflammation. And that's all I have to say. Have a great night. Okay, thank you for your call. Um, engineer, you said that uh, you, you... I just did a, a really quick little research, and there is uh, about 35% of fructose and sucrose in it, but there's actually a chemical they're calling... Uh, it's a triterpene uh, glycoside, a saponin, triterpene glycoside that gives a lot of the fruit, uh, the sweetness, and that's a powder they extract and concentrate. So I suspect it's more like stevia than an actual... So, so Dr. Coast. Pete, knowing, knowing what you know, if you've looked at um, monk fruit sugar, do you have anything else to say about it as a substance and or, um, and or a direct comparison to glucose or sucrose or fructose, obviously? Um, no, I haven't seen yeah. any comparisons of it yeah. okay. in, in diabetes. Yeah, well, no problem. Okay, well, we have another caller on the uh, on the air. So, uh, caller, you're on the air. Where are you from, and what's your question? Uh, I'm from New York. Um, Dr. Pete, I, we spoke before as well as the prior okay. caller, and it's consistent. Uh, it's following up on a recommendation you mentioned, but it's consistent with what you were talking about with vitamin D. I had a skin rash, um, and I had been prescribed cortisol creams and all kinds of stuff with lots of side effects. decided not to do that. I asked you about it, and you had recommended, um, you know, uh, salt and baking soda bath, like a pound each, um, daily. And I think you also mentioned vitamin D. Um, in addition to that, I did take um, a high volume, like 50 billion units of, of um, uh, uh, not just acidophilus, but a, a mixed variety of um, uh, probiotics. Those types of products and. Um, it, it got better, but it took like five months. It, it is coming back now. Mm-hmm. You also had mentioned, um, but very minor way. And so I have two questions about that. One, you'd mentioned vitamin D as well, and not so much vitamin A. I did get a vitamin D test, uh, and it was 39, which I, it's not dangerous, but is yeah. low. Yeah. And I am, uh, you know, I am, uh, you know, older, uh, over 60. Um, so I was just wondering, what is it that I could do to get that vitamin D level up, even though I'm ampl- applying it topically, the sun doesn't seem to work, and trying to overcome the, the points you made at the outset of this, of this particular show. That's uh, the first part. And the second part is, when they gave me cortisol, I was thinking, um, the adrenal glands make cortisol, right? So if you get older and your adrenal glands are, quote, less 
deficient for the reasons you mentioned earlier. Is that why they're suggesting topical cortisol? Because you can't make enough yourself? And if that's the case, it seems to me you would want to take adrenal hormones to more rejuvenate your adrenal glands so that you can make your own cortisol and let your body decide how much to make and where to repair. Mm-hmm. So it's the vitamin D and the adrenal glands. Um, it did heal, took a very long time, but um, it is actually coming back now. So I'm wondering um, about have, have those two points. Have you tried any um, supplements like a DHEA or progesterone or pregnenolone? Well, you know, I've, I took pregnenolone, um, and it actually is, is great, but um, I just, I don't know... I don't know whether it affects my body's ability to produce it, but um, I feel obviously you feel great right away. You've mentioned that in the past, but I just don't know how it dynamically affects other hormones and whether or not it's actually making testosterone or converting to estrogen. You know, because I do run a little bit, and uh, frankly, I, I did run today. It's funny you mentioned this also about the damage you can do by by running. And I, what af- uh, afterward, I did um, actually take some CoQ10. Coincidentally, I don't know why I did it, but then have you say it, and I thought, wow, that's interesting that you said that. Maybe that's a good idea if you're going to run, even if just a little bit, just to keep you know the blood flowing. Taking CoQ10 seems to make sense as sort of a defensive measure because there are some benefits of running, which I know you don't espouse, but I, I, it's important for me. Um, and obviously, you want to do it in a way that reduces you know the damage. Um, but um, I have taken it. Um, I do have topical progesterone. Um, being a man, I don't, you know, do a lot of it. Um, but, and I have DHEA and I've taken that a little bit, but I just, again, I'm, I'm just not sure how to take them and what quantity, how often, and how they would interact with what my body's trying to do. So I, I kind of have them, but I, I'm not actually sure how to use them, to be honest. Have you checked your thyroid function? Well, I do take, um, 30 milligrams of the, the, the thyroid, but I do the natural desiccated for the same reasons I just mentioned. It does have some liver in it, so I don't know if that's a problem, but I do take it. And my temperature was great during the summer. <laughs> I know you've mentioned this before. I mean, I mean it was much better. Um, now it's actually a little bit lower. I'm finding it in the, in the morning in the low, um, low 97s. So, um, you know, I try to get to 97.6 or 7 or 8 in the morning, but I'm a little bit, about a half a degree lower than that. Um, so, you know, I could increase it, but it, it does, I don't, you know, you're not depressed, your energy's not lower, and I can get my energy up. The red light helps. Um, dry CO2 is phenomenal. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I think I have, I definitely have a, a weaker thyroid, and probably running hurts it, other things hurt it, but I try to stick to your diet to minimize the risk. Carrots hurt it, too, by the way. I think I, my blood sugar drops when I take that carrot. It may help my stomach, but it hurts my... I think it hurts my thyroid function, but it goes away. It goes away. So the answer is um, um, yes, I do take a little bit of thyroid, but only 30 milligrams or one grain. I could up it to two, but the question is when do you take that during the day? Do you do it always in the morning? Do you do it at night? How do you spread it out? How does it affect my ability of my own thyroid to determine how much it needs and, and when it needs it? All right, well, let's, uh, let's let Dr. Pete uh, answer what it is that you've asked, and thanks, thanks for your question. So we got a question about the vitamin D status. I think you said it was uh, 36, 39, 36, 39. I think. And then uh, cortisol, um, obviously uh, concerned about adrenal uh, production. Yep. So, Dr. P. Uh, um, thyroid is, is essential for making uh, all of these steroids. Uh, and in a young person, 
uh, the ratio when you when you're under stress, uh, uh, there's a lot of of cortisol produced, and uh, that will, uh, in a healthy person, that will uh, also increase the uh, cholesterol, uh, pregnenolone, DHEA, and progesterone, backing up the uh, cortisol. But with age, there's a constant decrease in the ratio of DHEA and the protective steroids uh, in relation to cortisol, so that even though your uh, average uh, cortisol might stay the same with aging. Uh, uh, in effect, it's becoming constantly more more active. You're more susceptible to side effects from the cortisol exposure because your DHEA, pregnenolone, and progesterone are going down constantly with aging, along with the uh, decreasing cholesterol in all of the tissues. Okay, uh, I think just a, a mention here that um, everybody is very variable in their absorption um, of vitamin D, and for some people, uh, you know, 2,000 or 4,000 IU a day is fine to keep their vitamin D up around 40, 45, 50. Uh, some other people use 10,000 IU a day, and it does depend. I think uh, weight is a, uh, a factor that can uh, lower the absorption of it, somebody's body weight. Um, but basically, using vitamin D as a supplement is probably one of the best ways uh, to get it. Uh, it'll be part of this month's show we were going to discuss the uh, uh, actual production of it. But basically, you get... 90% or so uh, of your vitamin D if you're not supplementing from the sunlight. So if you're really not in the sun that much, and we're going to talk about uh, the uh, the scale here of vitamin D that's produced by sunlight versus the cancers, uh, but topical uh, or internal use of a uh, vitamin D compound, uh, either in a thorn research, do it, life extension, do it, Carlson Labs, do it. You know, there's plenty of it available, and it's not expensive. But um, to get your vitamin D in the 50 nanogram per mil range is a very good uh, strategy for maintaining good health. But let's just uh, let's just take this next caller. Uh, next caller, you're on the air. Where are you from? Where's your question? I'm Mike from Connecticut. Hey, Mike. What's your question? Yes, I just wanted to know, Pete, uh, Ray, Pete, uh, the thoughts on the skin care bacteria and the role they play in health. Is it like uh, what's in the gut where you want to keep the bacteria at a minimum? And if it's so, is the UV a good uh, treatment for killing the bacteria in the skin? And uh, just wondering if there's other ways to to, to balance that. I, I find that you know uh, UV treatment actually has been quite potent to, to uh, treat my acne. And I'm just wondering if that's, you know, something that's valuable as for UV or if there's other ways okay. like red, red, red light or any other ways yeah. of controlling uh, the bad bacteria in the skin. Yeah, I had a little trouble hearing the very first thing you said, but did you say carinibacterium as in the, the bacteria that cause acne? And yeah. Just, yeah. I, but both of you cut in. I couldn't hear that was... He said yes. Hello? Yes, okay, good. So Dr. Pete... Did you uh, did you get the question there? Or? Um, um, uh, yeah, the, the um, I think uh, thyroid and vitamin D are uh, major factors in the immunity. Uh, uh, there is another cholesterol uh, metabolite, twenty uh, five hydroxy cholesterol, which is very similar in function to twenty uh, five hydroxy vitamin D. Uh, they're, they're very structurally similar, and they both activate the immune system. And uh, 
I think they are uh, work right along with vitamin A and the thyroid hormone in keeping the uh, skin bacteria under control. Okay, thank you for your question. Uh, so uh, we're live here until 8 o'clock. Uh, people would like to call in with any questions related to this month's topic of skin cancer, uh, vitamin D, cholesterol, and how they interplay. The number here is 707-923-3911. Okay, so Dr. P, uh, I've got lots more questions, uh, so we'll see how far we get in terms of people calling in or not. Um, I wanted to know whether or not uh, a vitamin D would be a useful um, topical treatment, maybe not directly on a suspicious skin lesions, but maybe adjacent. Like I know you mentioned progesterone shouldn't be typically topically put on, uh, but adjacent to an area and then let the um, product migrate, uh, which it will do through the skin. But do you think that a topical application of vitamin D with a saturated fat, uh, either coconut oil or something like that, uh, would be a reasonable approach to uh, improving the vitamin D status in the skin because I know they interplay between cholesterol and um, skin cancers. Uh, there's a definite causal link between vitamin D cholesterol levels in the skin and the formation of skin cancers. So do you think... Uh, um, it, yeah, I think they, they um, both vitamin D and, and uh, cholesterol, especially uh, with saturated fats to... Uh, compete against the uh, whatever polyunsaturated happen to be in the skin. I think all three of those uh, have a, a good chance of uh, overcoming the, uh, the pre-cancerous uh, condition. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, in a typical cancer, uh, there will be a fully cancerized zone surrounded by lower degrees of conversion of the cells uh, as if uh, something is being emitted from a, a center uh, causing a gradual progressive change in the surrounding tissue. It isn't that uh, it, cells uh, are traveling out. It's that the surrounding normal cells uh, are gradually being injured the closer they are to, to the cancer. Uh, and part of that is that uh, the, the normal metabolites are being suppressed by, by the toxins such as lactic right. acid being emitted by the cancer cells. Uh, and uh, fairly well saturating the skin, both from the uh, uh, bloodstream uh, internally uh, taken uh, supplements, but also from things applied uh, topically uh, in the vicinity, are, are going to uh, keep those uh, pre-cancerous cells from going the rest of the way uh, and increasing the tumor. And uh, about 20 years ago, uh, someone was taking samples from facial skin of people who were uh, just normally exposed to daylight, uh, and they found that uh, almost everyone uh, with any outside light exposure had quite a few mutated cells, precancerous mm -hmm. uh, cells in their facial skin. But when they covered the skin for just a few weeks, that same area that had been producing streams of mutated cells uh, were entirely free of, of the mutant mm -hmm. cells, showing that the, the body uh, is able to 
uh, kill off the bad cells and replace them with uh, fresh, non-cancerous cells, given the chance, uh, letting them, yeah. them simply rest from from the, the damage. Now, this presumably this would be uh, in instances perhaps where there wasn't severe and repeated sunburn as a direct uh, cause of uh, mutated DNA, um, but which is a very slight irritation that's not such a severe... Uh, uh, yeah, and other people looking at um, middle-aged people who had been killed in accidents mm-hmm. uh, found that everyone at the age of 50, if, if you did a thorough right. autopsy, everyone has cancer by the age of 50 somewhere yeah. in their body. Same principle as they saw in, in the facial skin. If you stop injuring it, it's going to return to, to normal. Most people don't die of cancer, right. even though everyone by the age of 50 has cancer. So the, 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 the thing is to stop making cancers in your body as far as possible. And I think that's, that's the function of applying things such as progesterone, vitamin D, cholesterol, uh, maybe mevalonic acid. Yeah, I want to ask you about that in a little bit, but we do have another caller. So let's take this caller. Uh, caller, you're on the airway from, and what's your question? Uh, my name's Chris, and I'm here in Humboldt County. Okay, Chris, what's your um, question? And I apologize in advance if I, you know, I'm basically asking the same question someone else already has. I just turned on the radio. I, I love your guys' show, so I appreciate the time you guys uh, put in for it. Um, I'm a white, 51-year-old. I grew up in Southern California getting baked, you know, on the on the beach. Right. I, uh, you know, have been severely sunburned, you know, several, many times yeah. as a kid. And then <clears throat> within the last 10 years, I've, uh, you know, um, kind of fought uh, skin cancer a little bit. The uh, It's not the melanoma, it's the, sure. I don't know, Meso, meso, uh, thermal or whatever. Or basal of, uh, cell calcinoma or squamous cell? Uh, I think it's the meso, maybe. It's supposed to be the, a less aggressive one. Yeah. Well, actinic keratosis is the start of it, I think, but. Yeah, so that's the thing. Um, you know, I've gotten to where I can kind of recognize it. Um, and I've had, um, you know, a couple spots cut off. And then I was called back in to uh, cut off some more because they found it around the periphery. Right. And basically what I'm kind of noticing is that it's basically all over. You know, there's tiny little spots. You know, maybe it's pre-cancer or whatever, but it's like, well, you try to cut all that stuff off, I won't have any skin. So I'm kind of wondering, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what you guys would... um, recommend what I should do or maybe even direct me towards I don't know if it's on your website some literature that I should do some research sure Dr. Pete okay so what would you what would you suggest for this 51 year old Southern Californian who's been uh, burnt severely several times his description of of the process reminded me of another person in Southern California who had the cancer on his ear the doctor said he was going to have to cut off his ear to uh, cure the cancer. And the guy didn't want to cut off his ear, and so he put 
I think it was progesterone or a mixture of progesterone and DHEA on it. And uh, he, he, a week or two later, said it fell off. I said, what, the ear? He said, no, the cancer. <laughs> <laughs> progesterone and DH, what's that other yeah, one? DHEA. DHEA. Now, I just, just want to put the caveat out there, and Dr. Pete, you'll agree with this because you're the one who stated it, but um, in terms of... Uh, using DHEA, you need to make sure that your thyroid is working well, otherwise you've risked, the, you know, you run the risk of converting that DHEA into estrogen, uh, which you don't want to do because that in its own right is a pro-cancerous compound. So um, make sure your thyroid function is working well and or, you know, if it isn't, uh, use a thyroid hormone. So whether it's uh, desiccated natural or indeed synthetic, which is absolutely fine. Um, you should be making sure that your thyroid is working well so that you can convert that DHEA appropriately. And, and some, sometimes skin cancers heal up just for increasing the, the thyroid because right. the thyroid is going to increase the production of cholesterol and, and the immune uh, steroids. Um, I guess uh, that would require a visit to the doctor to check out my thyroid function or something. Well, you could. Um, here's the thing, though. Uh, you will probably find, well, you know what, it's a good idea to get a uh, metabolic panel done um, and see what your TSH is like. I found a lot of people have really overt symptoms of low thyroid, which improve dramatically with thyroid hormone when their labs come back showing that their TSH is within the normal range. So that in in and of itself is not diagnostic your temperature and pulses will be a very good way to see what your metabolic rate is which is the underlying uh you know driver of your metabolism and hormone conversion etc so um you know you can get a blood test see what your tsh is like it might be you know fairly high so that would be clinically a way to uh, show that but uh, your temperature and pulses would be the best way to do that okay then um is the dhc and progesterone, is that something someone can just go pick up? Yeah, the... yeah, yeah, they're both non-prescription. Uh, okay. DHEA, both DHEA, DHEA and progesterone uh, are both non-prescription. They're dietary supplements, basically. Okay, awesome. Yeah. All right, thank, thank you, guys. Yeah, you're welcome. If you want to, you can always uh, email me. Uh, I'll send you a link uh, to some resources that you can look at uh, and, indeed, links of where you can buy quality products. Uh, Rhoda Barnes was the person who showed how effective the temperature uh, check could be for uh, diagnosing hypothyroidism, and his books are still available uh, on the Internet, I think. Very, very important to read for everyone. Yeah. There you go, Broder Barnes. Okay, we have, <coughs> excuse me, we have two callers, so let's see if we can squeeze them into the next uh, at least eight minutes. Uh, caller number one, uh, where are you from? What's your question? And can we try and be as concise as we can? Well, uh, I'm from Long Island, and you mentioned skin, but vitamin E uh, wasn't mentioned. And I know there's vitamin E and tocotrienols, and I was just wondering which one is uh, preferable and how would you use them in the context of this dialogue? The second question I have is royal jelly versus bee pollen. Hmm. Are those um, the same thing, and are they recommended or too much PUFA? Thank you. Okay. <clears throat> Thanks for your call. Um, so did you hear the first question about the vitamin E? Um, uh, yeah. The, the, um, uh, there is some information that 
the tocotrienols uh, can, in large doses in experimental animals, they cause liver enlargement, which hmm. suggests that they're uh, treated as a, a, a toxin by the liver. And so ever since seeing that, I've been suspicious that uh, maybe they're uh, over-emphasizing their value because of uh, the, the amount of money they can sell them for as distinct from a traditional vitamin E. And, and one of the uh, problems with vitamin E is uh, it can uh, preserve the uh, amount of PUFA in the tissue, so it's, it's important to keep your your polyunsaturated fats down mm. uh, as well as using the vitamin E to uh, block their effects as far as possible. Yeah. Okay, so uh, very quickly, the royal jelly versus the pollen aspect. I know you don't really agree with bee pollen because of the possible allergenic effects, given that it's you know collected from such a wide range of plants. Uh, what about royal jelly? I know that's kept uh, a fair amount of press. It's extremely rich in nutrients, and yeah. if there was a lot of it, everyone <laughs> should probably eat some of it. But All right. you don't want to steal. The bees' food, they're already having <laughs> That's right. problems. I know. All right, without going any further, we have two more callers. So let's take this next caller. Caller, you're on the airway from? Yeah, hi, I'm from uh, Redway, California. Hey, what's your question? Um, well, I have a, uh, I guess, like, yes, I have a question um, and an observation first. My 97 year old grandmother uh, recently was diagnosed with a squamous cell carcinoma on her nose. Right. And the doctors were saying, look, you're going to croak before you, you know, think you'll, you know, it's, and it's, but it was annoying to her. So she's like, and they said, well, we're going to have to cut your whole nose off, basically, to get at it. And what? so we uh, tried. What kind, what kind of cannabis oil? It was a squamous cell carcinoma. Yes. Oh, oh, I've had several old friends and, and myself with little cancers on the face uh, that uh, they went away in, uh, from as little as a week to uh, six months of applying uh, progesterone or DHEA to them. Uh, and uh, a friend who was, I, I think she was 94 at the time, her face was being eaten away by by a, a melanoma. Uh, and uh, uh, just a few applications of progesterone uh, uh, near nearby, uh, there was a hole so that she couldn't put it directly in the melanoma. But uh, Well, well I, I, have an, I have another question for you, which is that we applied cannabis oil. Um, as, a, as an alternative method, and found efficacy within two weeks. I mean, and so and she'd had it for about four months, four or five months. And, you know, when I started telling people about this, they advised me and said, look, you know, that's anecdotal. Go around telling people that cannabis oil cures cancer because then you know, these weirdos not yeah. doing traditional medicines and favoring the cancer. Uh, you guys, I mean, but, but this happened in my, in my case. Now, like you said, maybe it went away on its own. It was a coincidence that we applied that oil. That could be. Um, and I, I just tuned into the show, so I don't really know what you guys have been talking about that much. Um, but I would like to get your, your thoughts, since you guys both need to be medical professionals, on the potential efficacy of cannabis oil, whether it should or should not be administered, and what, what results other people are finding with it. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I'm afraid I don't. The only thing I would wonder uh, was the uh, was the product – in what kind of oil was the product extracted in, or was it olive, just – Olive oil. Olive oil, right. It's, it was basically hash. It was basically hashish mixed with olive oil. Yeah. To get onto it, what it, what it was. Yeah. I, I think the olive oil is more therapeutic than the cannabis oil. I, I heard somebody say that too. They said, <laughs> you know, you don't know. Maybe it was the olive oil. Um, it just, yeah. but, um, 
Okay. Uh, well, alloy leaf is uh, another thing that people have used successfully on skin cancers. Uh, just squash the yellow leaf on it. Aloe. Really? It was it was shocking to know that the doctor basically had no, um, you know, thoughts. And he said, "Look, the only I mean, he, the doctor she went to was saying the only you know real remedy here for this is ex, is excision. You know, just cut yeah. the nose off." And yeah. obviously, she didn't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's encouraging to note that there are other. Well, for anybody listening to the show, that there that we guys, what you guys have been talking about. Um, uh, the, the oleic acid, which is the major fat in olive oil, increases synthesis of cholesterol. Huh. Well, that's great. I mean, uh, so olive oil. I mean, wow. Who knew? <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate your uh, your input caller. Thanks for your call. Uh, okay, yeah, thanks for doing the show. Yeah, you're welcome. It's uh, a couple of minutes to eight, so uh, I'll let you sign off, Doctor Pete. Thanks so much for your uh, doing the show as you've uh, always. Yeah, I say always have. I can't remember when you last didn't, but uh, thanks so much for your time. Okay. Okay, so uh, we probably only got through about half of what I wanted to get through, but that's always good. I always like it when people call in. Uh, it shows that people are listening and they're interested. And even when they sometimes don't call in very much, uh, I get feedback on the Internet uh, from the repeat forum, etc., uh, just seeing just how many people are actually listening to it and wanting to actually hear what Ray Pete's got to say rather than other people. So it's always a catch-22. I know Dr. Pete likes to be engaged with people calling up, um, and I know people like to hear what Dr. Pete has to say. So uh, for those who called in, thanks for your time and your questions. Um, for those who've uh, not heard about Dr. Pete or maybe only just listened to him once or twice on the show, um, he's been doing this, like he says, for 45-plus years now. Um, and a PhD endocrinologist who actually practices what he preaches, so that's the big difference there. Um, his website is www.raypeat.com, and he's got plenty of scholarly articles that are fully referenced and will give you a very different perspective on things that you've been told are the way they are, and fortunately they are not the way they are, but they are alternatives. Uh, and for those people um, who also want to take a look at our website, it's www.westernbotanicalmedicine.com. And on the resources tab, uh, there are audio files from all of the shows that we've ever done. Uh, there are probably about eight months worth that still need to get put up from this year, but um, are working hard on the back in the background to get this done. Uh, and also on YouTube, uh, there are most of our uh, radio shows on YouTube. Uh, so thanks so much for the callers, and until the third Friday of next month, uh, have a good night, and uh, welcome to the rain in southern Humboldt anyway. Okay, good night.